0: This is the Education Gadfly Show.
1: Name dropping thing. How annoying. It's like such a DC thing to do. Yeah, you're a DC person. I know. I can't help it. I can't help it. It's I know. DC person. What does Gadfly say? Hello, this is your host, Mike Petrilli of the Thomas B. Fordham Institute, here at the Education Gadfly Show and online at edexcellence.net. And now, please join me in welcoming our special guest for this week, the Mbappe of Education Policy, Matt Chingos. Matt, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. All right, Matt is the director of the Education Policy Program at the Urban Institute. Also joining us, uh, the, I don't know, referee? The, the
2: referee? Uh, <laughs> Brandon Nobody Wright. likes a referee. Come on.
1: <laughs> but Brandon did win our office pool uh, for the I World did. Cup. I you did. know, Brandon organizes all of our office pools for various sporting effects and, and wins all of them. <laughs>
2: that, that, is, <laughs> and, that is true, but I it's swear it's suspicious. on the up and up. It's, uh-huh. it's on the up and up.
1: It's suspicious. Sure it is. There's no connection here. No, uh, nope. Yes. Mm.
3: Well, I was pulling for Iceland, so I uh, was disappointed pretty quickly.
1: Uh, yes, indeed, you you would be. Well, so yeah, Mbappe. I guess what he's the latest teenage sensation, huh? I mean, Andrew, our producer, was telling me the first one to first teenager to score a goal since Pele. Wow impressive did, were you excited about the World Cup did you tune in at all
3: not really after <laughs> <laughs> out you're, you're yeah. Mbappe is on the French team
1: uh, on the French team yes yeah. I have to admit I, I did not watch a whole lot either because yeah I mean without the Americans uh, my Italians weren't in it uh, then like Argentina they were out early but I will say I know everybody's saying what an amazing World Cup and it was it was exciting right it was uh, surprises and yeah, great games yeah, it was, great it was, games fun. And, it was fun. yeah uh, a nice uh, change from perhaps some of the uh, other things going on in the world right now.
2: Sports are always a good distraction.
1: A nice respite. All right. Well, hey, we got lots to talk about here. Let's have our Ed Reform update. So, Matt, uh, you wrote a great piece. I thought it was great. I mean, I, you know, other people may disagree, but I thought it was a great piece recently uh, for a conference that I think was AEI and uh, Third Way put together about the college completion crisis. And you wrote about uh, how really academic preparation uh, going into college is still, you know, the big issue, at least one of the big issues. And and look, we know that our... our Colleagues who do higher ed work are very interested in a variety of reforms at the higher ed level that could help more kids get all the way through college completion. There's lots of things there from financial aid changes to uh, more supports, etc., cetera, et cetera, You call, you know you you follow the higher ed stuff as well as the K through 12 stuff, but yet you you know and so that's all fair, but you still say look, a big issue is that we've got way too many kids coming out of our high schools not ready academically for college. Is it, did I characterize that right?
3: Yeah. I mean, how prepared you are, you know, measured by your kind of skills on academic skills in high school and your grades that, you know, your kind of performance in high school is just hugely predictive of how likely you are to to complete college. So, yeah, of course, we should do all we can to help people who show up at college unprepared still be successful. Yeah. But if we can, we can't go back in time for those kids. But in a forward looking way, I think it's why I'm passionate about both K-12 and higher ed work yeah. because making progress in the K-12 side can have payoffs in the higher ed side as well.
1: So I've, I've been writing some about this as well. I had a piece that, uh, yeah. a long piece for those of you interested in, long reads about where education reform should go next. Uh, and when you look at the data, my, my take is that if from a variety of sources, you could say, all right, maybe about a third of our students uh, are making it through the K-12 system and out the other side and ready to succeed in post-secondary education, either you know traditional four-year degree or something more technically oriented, a third. Maybe it's a little higher, maybe 40%. Uh, And then you've got another third who are going to college. Because keep in mind, something like two thirds of kids matriculate right out of high school into college, but close to half of those kids go in unprepared. Uh, And then the other third don't go at all, at least right away. And the question is, oh my God, how can we better, what can we do for that that third of the kids or half of the kids going to college to better prepare them? And... uh, and this is where I think there's a, a real debate about what our high schools should be doing to better prepare them. There have been some for many years who say we should make the traditional college prep track the default. We should make kids take tougher courses. We should, you know, keep focused on those academic skills. I would argue that at least for some chunk of those kids, uh, you know, for whom those academics, they've, they've lost interest, uh, and that may not be their aspiration to do a four-year college degree, that we should be doing something else, like high-quality career and technical education. What, what, I mean, what do you think, Matt? If you had to give advice to a high school that is sending a lot of kids to college who are not prepared, what would you tell that high school to do?
3: Yeah, I mean, I think it's a really tough question, because on one hand, I think we know that we're never going to live in a world in which everybody... Goes to a four-year college and does exactly what that is because that's not what we need. We don't need everybody to do that, right? We shouldn't, right? We yeah. shouldn't. Yeah, yeah, we should. We shouldn't do that. Um, but at the same time, it's a matter of figuring out: well, who are those kids who are going to do one thing versus another, right? Yep. And I think historically, the concern has been that if we create some separate track, it's always going to be for those those kids, some other some other group of kids, not right. our own kids. So it's how do we balance those two mm-hmm. things? Right. That you know, one idea of college isn't for everybody, um, and different paths are appropriate for. For, for different kids. Mm. But how do we do that identification in a way that's right, kind of fair and uh, appropriate?
1: And you're right. It's the tracking thing that hangs over all of this. And and it's a legitimate concern. I mean, tracking in the past was racist and classist and pretty much awful. Right. I mean, And it's not been that long a time. I remember the story from uh, Justin Cohn. I used to work for Michelle Rhee in DC. You know, they came in to take a look at what they were inheriting. When they first came in, they found a school in DC that was still doing a, a supposedly CTE program in shoeshine. Shoe shine, you know, this was like 10 years ago, right? And, and that was, you know, then they were very proud. The high school was, look, look at these great technical, you know, these great vocational programs we've got. So, I, you know, so I, we get that. But isn't it true that if, if we could make the career tech stuff uh you know kind of prestigious and rigorous that it was the academics plus the applied stuff real workplace maybe kids even getting paid to do apprenticeships like you see in other countries i mean i don't know isn't there how do we get past this tracking boogeyman Uh, because it's clearly you know because just saying well we're gonna have everybody do college prep all the way through the end of 12th grade is not working
2: so first off i would avoid that word um it's an historically ugly word Mm -hmm. uh And I think we should avoid putting kids on sort of set tracks. One thing that I think high schools can do is try to be more honest with their kids about where they are Mm -hmm. at various grades, right? Like, look, if you want to really try for college, right? Obviously you can try for college, but like, this is where you're at and this is Mm -hmm. where you'll need to be in, in four years. This Mm -hmm. is the work you have to like actually do. These are the skills you have to acquire to actually be ready to complete college, like just so you know, right? Like, and, and, and make it so that other options are available if they want them. And I think with a combination of sort of hard honesty, hard truth Mm -hmm. and flexible options Mm
1: -hmm.
2: at various years, especially when kids graduate, right? Mm -hmm. Like you are in 12th grade, we can't really do much more for you, but you're not ready for college. Like, I'm sorry, right? Like you aren't, so here are your options. Mm-hmm. And I don't think high schools, especially with a lot of l- low-performing, disadvantaged kids, are really that honest with their kids at all. You see a lot of schools instead who are like, we're going to encourage all of you to apply for college and go to college. Yeah, But well, you're not it- even like... like I'm not even sure that you should get a diploma.
1: Yeah. Well, and and look, we've talked about this on the show, that there's now the nudge efforts that are nudging kids to, you know, fill out the FAFSA, go to college. You know, and the question is, look, for some of these kids, maybe those nudges aren't the right nudges. I mean, we're setting them up to fail. You know, 90% of low-income kids who start at community colleges in remedial education do not complete anything. You know, why are we telling those kids, you know, hey, you're reading at a seventh grade level. Maybe the nudge should not be go give a community college a try. I mean I don't know how how do you think about all this stuff
3: Matt? I think the hard t- hard thing is understanding what someone's like inner potential, right? If we observed everyone's potential well, then we want all kids to realize their potential yeah. and some kids just need a little nudge, right? You know, upper middle class kids have their parents fill out all these forms for them, yeah. make sure they do their college applications. So why would we take that away or not want to help a, you know, lower income kid do that? But if at the same time, if we know that there's, there's some kids who aren't going to benefit from some experience, mm-hmm. well, then we would want to dissuade them from that. But the problem is we don't ever observe that, mm-hmm. right? The stuff is so tied up in, in in racing class, it's kind of hard to get away from that. I mean, I, I think this probably ought to be part of a broader conversation about high schools in general. Mm-hmm. You know, so I, uh, my colleague Kristen Black and I wrote a paper a few years ago called Varsity Blues, mm-hmm. looking at achievement in high schools, and basically if you look kind of long term at both the long-term NAEP and the more recent Mm -hmm. NAEP, you see we've made all this progress, maybe not the last decade, but longer Mm -hmm. term in... 4th grade, 8th grade yep. math and reading yep. scores, But it all goes away yeah, in 12th just hits grade. A wall. Yeah. And people have made excuses. They said, oh, it's because more kids are graduating. We went through all these excuses yeah. people are making and found really no strong evidence for any of them. Yep. Yep. So there's something happening in high schools yep. where people are like learning more than they used to, but then by the end of high school, it all seems to kind of fall away, and right. this generation is no more educated right. at 12th grade than the last. Right. In
1: other words, they, in they the... come into ninth grade better prepared, but we're not taking advantage of that. In right. Way. So, I, yeah.
3: so I think we need to rethink not just this, this kind of idea of career and technical education, but it's more yeah. broadly, you know, our yeah. high school is giving people the right academic skills. And yeah. how do we, you know, as kinda, you talked about, Brandon, how do we layer those things together? Because it's not like if we think you're going to go into a technical field, you still need to be literate and yeah. numerate right. to, A, succeed in those fields and just succeed as a, as a citizen, as a parent yeah. uh, down the road. So how do we, you know, keep high expectations for sort of the key core academic skills we want people to have and then think about what the right layering on top of that is mm-hmm. in terms of. Different, differentiating by what we think people's future path will be.
1: All right. Well said. We will leave it there. Thanks for coming on the show, Matt. I hope you will come back. You're not too far away at the Urban Institute.
3: I'm always happy to do it.
1: All right. Great. Thanks again. Matt Chingos of the Urban Institute. And now it's time for everyone's favorite, Amber's Research Minute. <music> David Griffith, welcome back to the show.
0: Hey, thanks for having me, Mike. You're not Amber. Uh, true. True. Wow, you're on a roll today.
1: <laughs> I am sharp. You know, they say that that in the summer the heat makes our brain go slower. So I'm just proud that I'm able to uh to point these things out. A- Amber <laughs> is laid up at home with a bum ankle. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I heard. Yeah, poor Amber. So our thoughts are with you, Amber. Get well so that you can come back and tell us about research studies, but David is here to do it in your place. So what you got for us today?
0: Well, Mike, uh, today I've got uh, an interesting study about New Orleans, some place that has never been studied before by education reformers. <laughs> yeah.
1: Uh, no, or, but, or by Doug Harris. Yes. <laughs> Doug
0: Harris. Yeah, no, The study's by Doug Harris um, and, and Matt Larson, and its uh, it's title is, What effect did the New Orleans school reforms have on student achievement, high school graduation, and college outcomes?
1: Ooh, yeah, you're singing my song now, David. This yeah, is exciting. Yeah, so there's-, there's Because last... we've had a lot of debate on the show and elsewhere about short-term test scores versus these long-term outcomes.
0: Yeah. Yes, and and that is that's what's exciting about this study is you know they were able to they've done you know analyses like this have been done before but they're able to add some new outcomes uh, and basically you know look at the long term effects um, and and so basically not to, to skip to the end here um, they est- they estimate that the reforms increase student achievement meaning math and and, and reading scores um, by about eleven to sixteen percentiles uh, they. That they estimate that it increased high school graduation by about three to nine percentage points. College entry by about eight to 15 percentage points. College persistence by about four to seven percentage points and graduation by three to five percentage points. Uh, so universally positive uh, findings. Um, obviously, you know, it, it is a challenging It's a challenging thing to study, right? Because there was a big hurricane. Um, And so, you know, they kind of go at this a bunch of different ways to try to convince readers and convince themselves that Mm -hmm. they're really finding an effect here. Um, I mean, there's some interesting, I don't want to get too wonky with it, but there's Mm -hmm. some interesting things. For example, they worked with the Census Bureau and and they are fairly confident that the students who returned to New Orleans Mm -hmm. um, were actually... Uh, lower performing than the ones who left um, and, so, and never came back. Yeah, never came back. Exactly. Yeah, so it's you know it's not like some sort of positive selection effect here. Yeah. And, but the, you know they do different things. Uh, one of their analyses, they only look at the kids who came back. Uh, another one, they try to do. You know, they look at the schools before and after the Mm -hmm. hurricane. So there's different ways to try to get around this. Um, But if we're being honest, it is challenging. Nevertheless, no matter how they do it, they basically come up with a positive impact. Mm -hmm. So, And and it seems to have extended all the way
1: into college. And these are all all these statistically significant impacts? They're they're all
0: statistically significant,
1: yeah. Mm -hmm. So now... I'm trying to think about how some of our friends uh, who have been claiming yes. that there is this disconnect uh, between test scores and long-term <laughs> outcomes, especially in school choice programs. Of course, school choice a big part of the new orleans reforms uh perhaps they'd say well the test score impacts looked larger than some of these long-term impacts yeah
0: i mean i think it's reasonable to assume that the test score impacts are a little larger than the long-term impacts right like it's you wouldn't you know we don't nobody is really arguing that test scores are a perfect proxy for Mm long-term life success yeah um but that's that shouldn't be the standard yeah um so i mean to me when you're looking at well, let's see. One's in percentiles and the other one's in percentage points. So I can't do that in my head. But, you know, a 3 to 5 percentage point boost in college graduation among low-income kids is a big deal,
1: right? Right. So that's interesting. That was the percentage point. So that's probably I mean, nationally low-income kids, I don't know if we're talking for talking four-year degrees, that's like 10%. Yeah. So you're saying they may have gotten that up to 13 or 15%?
0: Um, yeah. So right. So basically it's bumping from about 10 percentage points to about 15. Wow. Um that's a huge increase. Yeah. So it's like a sixty-seven percent increase, potentially. Yeah. Potentially. I, I mean I, I think, you know, I wouldn't take that to the bank, right? But it is a large relative to the number of kids, yeah. um, in terms of the proportion of kids, it's very significant because not many of them were going to college to begin with.
1: Yeah. All right. So what what do you guys think? Uh set aside this this my, my obsession yeah. with test scores yeah, versus yeah, long term sure, outcomes. Sure. Let's talk right, about other let, obsessions. Let, let's say the you know the question is, all right, so we have good evidence that New Orleans Something very good happened in New Orleans. It got written up in the New York Times. David Leonhardt, by the way, uh, his, his daughter, uh, classmate of my son's uh, small DC world. Uh, and uh, and you say, okay, so New Orleans is, uh, I, I just did the name dropping thing. How annoying. That's like such a DC thing to do. Yeah, you're a DC person. I know. I can't okay. help it. Yeah, I can't yeah, help yeah. He's it. He's a DC person. I'm, I've been trying to influence the way he thinks about these things. I don't think I've had no success yet. But anyway, <laughs> uh, so question, of course, is can we export any of these reforms to other cities. Yeah. I, I mean, should should every other city follow the New Orleans playbook, including going 100% charter schools? I mean, is, is this compelling like evidence
2: that. to you? Yeah, I mean, I, like, I don't think that's even like a realistic outcome. Why that, not? That, in some places that, it that is, right? Some district is just going to go 100% charter. Well, I mean, we've got cities like
1: Detroit that are already at 50%, DC is at 50%. I mean, that, I mean, there's certainly, uh, you know, some big cities around the country where you've got big chunks of kids. And the question is, should we, you know, if you've hit 40 or 50%, should you try to go all the way to 100 you know, and do the other things that have happened in New Orleans common application, a very stringent, rigorous authorizing, you know, some. Work that they've done around transportation, and special ed, and yeah, so the, discipline, and I mean, all the, the
0: rest. Those last couple, for sure, right? Like you have to have a common application. It's absurd that some places yeah, yeah. with you know don't have this yet. Please, please, just create one. Um, sure. You know, and 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 obviously you need account. I mean, not okay. I think it's obvious that you need stringent accountability and authorizing. Yeah. Um. Like to the central question. I mean, this debate was hot, right? Kind of a couple years ago, and now it seems to have maybe just been displaced by other things. Um. I think the difference between charter and 100% charter is more significant than the difference between, say, 25 or 50 and 50, right? Because getting, it's, you know, it's almost like renewable energy or something, right? Like getting that last like 15 to 20% where you have a system that truly doesn't leave certain communities underserved, right? right? So, I mean, I do think there's a case for, for example, here in D.C., right? Having one traditional public school that doesn't move and will accept kids, you know, in, in every... Sort of neighborhood, right? But I personally think you could drive the number of charters up higher before you really started to encounter any drastically new logistical difficulties that we're not already dealing with at forty-seven percent.
1: Yep. But I guess the, the the flip side of the question is: Should we give up on urban districts?
0: <laughs> How is that the flip side. Of That's the flip side. You mean
1: traditional? Yeah, right. traditional. Right. Traditional. <laughs> urban public schools. Right. I, was gonna I mean, go with no, but. no, that, that's all I say. If you're going to go like more and more charters then you're saying, because these urban districts are hopeless, you know, New Orleans before the storm was corrupt. It was broken. It was horribly performing and people had tried to fix it. Yeah. I remember you'd hear about these superintendents who uh, was it, was it Rudy crew who went down there and he had to have like, you know, the FBI guarding his life. Man. I mean, it was the crazy stuff. Right. Man. And, and maybe it's not that bad in other places, but it's not that different in some other places. There were eight
0: superintendents in 11 years. Yeah.
1: You yeah. know, look, Tom Boesberg is retiring from Denver. People say, well, it's something, it's working in Denver. Okay, I'll give you Denver. We've had some promising reforms in the district in Denver, maybe in D.C. public schools, uh, before all the scandals. Uh, I, there's not many more to point to. I mean, right? I mean if, if you are a mayor, if you're a business leader in a city, if you're like, wow, the future of our city, we've got to improve our schools, do you keep trying to fix the urban district? Or do you just look at New Orleans and say, screw it. Let's just do charters. But like, how do you, how do you actually pragmatically do that? Well, you, you do all the pieces to try to make sure there's ample funding for charter schools and that there's not a cap on charter schools. And you have an authorizer who wants to keep growing charter schools. I mean, you know, you pick that strategy.
2: I guess for me, because charters are so contentious, even in places where there are lots of them, like you mentioned Detroit, super contentious there. Like, like I just saw a vice documentary, which wasn't fair, but it still <laughs> like like wasn't out of bounds. It was, it was, it was they're not popular there for a significant chunk of the population. So if your goal is just to create more charters first, as opposed to sort of doing something a little bit more organically, making sure that 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 charter growth sort of coincides with with good relationships between the charter and traditional districts like you have here. Um and sort of get community buy-in while doing all these other reforms. I think that sort of more slow organic process mm-hmm. is much better than just being like, well, I think charters are the fix. Let's just make it all charters. And I, I like, obviously in new Orleans, it was a very special case, right? There are a lot of special circumstances that led to all of these different things that the district and city could do that they couldn't otherwise do before the storm. Mm-hmm. Right. So I guess, I'm obviously a charter supporter and I think they do and can do great things, but I sort of view charters, I guess, as more of like another reform option in a broader reform playbook. Um, So I would prefer that a city take its special circumstances, its unique characteristics and sort of follow the playbook in a way that fits their circumstances best.
1: All right. We will let Brandon have the last word, uh, you know, (laughs) even, even, you know, compromising (laughs) that it is, but no, just teasing. All right. Good stuff, guys. That is all the time we've got for this week. Until next week. I'm Brandon Rowe. And I'm Mike Petrilli at the Thomas B. Fordham Institute signing off.
3: The Education Gadfly Show is a production of the Thomas B. Fordham Institute located in Washington, D.C., For more information, visit us online at edexcellence.net.